he was a safer bet. It's better to vote for a man with nothing in his head than for a man who could cause irreparable damage to the country. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's what I did. Yeah. Um, nobody wanted him in there. Uh, <laughs> there we are. I'm Gabe. And I'm Kat. And we're the Cools Next Door. Talking about spooky stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's, as we do, this, in this, uh, this week is very scary because it's real. It's very real. (laughs) It's too real. Yeah. The entire, yeah. This is like one of my favorite books of all time now, but also it is very stressful and mostly because it is like reality so close to it. Like, so just like this far away from what it's saying is where we are. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a lot because it's supposed to be like a dystopian future of scary times. And it's like, no, that's like what we live now in. Mm hmm. And it's like, it's a very, like, it's got a lot of inspiration. So um, we are the Media Literacy Podcast, where we explore the horror genre and talk about real life, historical, factual things that might inspire our cinematic and, in this case, written fears, uh, as we are talking about um, a work of art honestly, <laughs> and yeah. terror. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Earthseed series by Octavia Butler. So last week we talked about Octavia Butler, the creator, um, who, like we talked about her life, we talked about what kind of themes she goes over in all of her books because she wrote a lot. Uh, okay. Definitely like one of the founding sci-fi writers ever. Uh, and we wanted to focus on in this series like talk about the history of one, of a writer, but then also dive into one of their specific works that uh, has really impacted the world, especially now. Like people are finally uh, like no longer sleeping on Octavia <laughs> because yeah. her, especially for the Earthseed series, which, can, which um, contains Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents and um, takes place in the 2020s and 2030s. And which is now right now i will be alive during the times that she like yeah like Like 2024 is literally like not this year but next year like tomorrow practically that's fair and ever present and approaching rapidly everything Um, was like in the year 2032 i was like that's not far yeah (laughs) like what am i like who am i'm still going to be here living probably uh in that time yeah which is both positive yet awful uh 
it's a little both. Yeah, like our protagonist is uh, born in 2009, and there's like this part where her daughter is like, she was born in 2009, she's lived for so long, and I was like, 2009 was yesterday, like, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Um, yeah, so <laughs> we're talking about the Earthseed series um, and packing uh kind of the messaging in it talk a little bit about what happens in it there my part will definitely have some spoilers so if you are a reader uh, even if you're not you might find that you really enjoy reading Octavia's work just because it is so compelling and you might feel really connected to the work and especially like specifically this one I think can also hopefully like uh, inspire you as well to Mm -hmm. um in a time where things feel really dark and gloomy and horrifying <laughs> in reality having a book like parable of the sower and parable of the talents where they're in an even more bleak world but still mm -hmm. able to have some semblance of hope might inspire you to have that as well to think like well we're not there yet <laughs> like yeah. we're very close like we have a lot of similarities but we're not there yet and so we have the chance to turn it around or if not turn it around be prepared for and possibly like get in front of it yeah exactly like I think even in the start of my I'm like it's you want to stop it but also in the off chance slash likely unfortunate chance that it's not stoppable at its current velocity of speed or whatever the right word for speed is um you can prepare so that you survive um so we are <laughs> yeah yeah so um why don't we hop in because i have a lot to say Okay. It's going to take forever. Uh, and then we're going to spend some time at the end where we'll talk about just like our feelings and how this work has impacted us personally. Um, mm -hmm. So I will put in like the, the show notes where my part ends. If you want to like come back to me later <laughs> and, yeah. and so you can avoid Watch some spoilers. Yeah. Uh, you can absolutely do that. Yeah. Let me, let's go. Do it. Let's do it. Um, like I said, we're covering the Earthseed series, which contains two books. So let me tell you what these two books are about, and then we can just start talking about it. <laughs> start talking about what happens. So, uh, in Parable of the Sower, which is uh, was published first in 1993, which mm -hmm. is not ent entirely long ago, uh, but slightly younger than me. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. Uh, and in that book. Uh, this is what happens in 2025 with the world descending into madness and anarchy. One woman begins a fateful journey towards a better future. Um, and this was the first of what has become an unfinished trilogy. Mm -hmm. uh, and like we said, written by Octavia Butler, the second in this unfinished trilogy is parable of the talents, which came out in 2001, which is slightly younger than my very younger sister. <laughs> so, uh, and it continues the story of Lauren Olamina and socially and economically depressed California in the 2030s. Uh, convinced that our community should colonize the stars, Lauren and her followers make preparations. But the collapse of society and rise of fanatics results in Lauren's followers being enslaved and her daughter stolen from her. Now, Lauren must fight back to save the new world order. Um, and just like a, one of my favorite, there's a lot of quotes from 
this book of um, the living, the earth seed, which mm-hmm. I will explain. But um, one of my favorites is in order to rise from its own ashes, a phoenix first must burn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, should I get that tattooed on my body? I Those also want to get that tattooed <laughs> on my body. Can we get matching tattoos? That say yes. That? Okay, well, um, then that's happening now. <laughs> It 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 reminds me because uh one of my other favorite authors of all time is Toni Morrison and there's so many quotes of hers, um that I want to tattoo all over me. Um, mm-hmm. And one is is pretty similar to that, like you know uh, anything coming back to life hurts. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my god, that's how I feel. So, <laughs> <laughs> the Earthseed uh, series follows Lauren Oya Olamina, a young empath living in an apocalyptic world of unrest and hopelessness. And in Parable of the Sower, Olamina is young and growing in this bleak landscape. She introduces her complicated world, the one she's the only one she's ever known. And this world, though alien to us, isn't too hard to imagine. It is the exaggerated horrifying outcome of our current actions it's almost a promise mm-hmm. um because <laughs> she definitely took it from reality <laughs> yeah. talking about too. so let's take a glimpse into this world uh and how horrific it is and you know tell me if it sounds a bit too familiar listener mm-hmm. but olamina lives with her family in a walled town where outside the wall is pure danger and chaos people fight steal murder and intoxicate themselves to survive cars are rare because gas is impossible mm-hmm. uh food is limited due to climate change and unsustainable farming practices climate but- change also results in rampant forest fires in california where olamina lives Wow, so not real. The police force is small and privatized. Catering to the upper class uh, are incredibly expensive and entirely unhelpful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At times even harmful to the very communities they're supposed to protect. Um, Special drugs have corrupted the mentality of entire communities of people. There's one drug called the Paratecco, which is dubbed the genius drug, results in children like Olamina who are known as sharers, who physically feel what others feel. So if they feel pain and uh, less uh, so pleasure, they will also feel it if they see it. Um, And um, they are born this way because their mothers were um, abusers of that uh, drug specifically. Um, There's also one of the more prevalent drugs, like the Paratecco isn't as popular. It seemed to be like the time before, and now we're just living with people who are now shares because of that um the more prominent drug is pyro which inspires an intense delight for fire and flame and olamina describes the sensation as better than sex to watch a fire burn which results in like these really terrible like roving groups of people who shave their head and their eyebrows paint themselves crazy colors and then just like set things on fire set people on fire and just watch Mm-hmm. um and it's like they're always in the background like they pop up and fire pops up a lot because again we're wall phoenixes um or phoenix eye i don't know and yeah. uh so fire is a big thing but they are always just like this threat on the outside of like there are people out there who really love watching fire um education is lo- no longer free but mandatory by law and schools have shut down and families are now expected to educate their children or they're sent to neighborhood classes um, to learn alongside their peers so hmm, underfunded education 
Yeah. Yeah, imagine. Um, Slavery has resurfaced with a new face. With such a pathetic workforce, many are forced to become laborers who work not for money, but cred that they can use on the compounds of the company. Um, So we're thinking like, yeah, industry towns, very sorry to bother you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Later, we learn about the cruel practice of collaring people into working for free. So it becomes, we're not even giving them cred. Uh, They are just slaves. Um, And these collars are controlled by a device on a belt by the captor who can send terrible mind-breaking pain to the wearer. Children are murdered, made into workers or sex slaves, uneducated and lost. The bleak world has inspired fear and hopelessness, making room and inspiring the rise of religious factions that seek to make America great again, Mm -hmm. uh, desiring to return to an impossible time that never existed without acknowledging any of the real issues that brought us to this point. These radicals work to cleanse the country of the broken, damned heathens that have destroyed the greatest country in the world. Uh Uh-huh. Hmm. <laughs> Again, um, <laughs> specifically parable the talents. That's where we really get these religious groups, mm-hmm. and uh, they're really, really terrifying, but not at all like impossible. Um, yeah. which was like for me, I was like, <laughs> um, so in Parable of the Sower, the first one, Olamina's world is dropped into further hell when her home is attacked by those pyromaniacs who deem this vulnerable community the villain. They perceive them as the rich being walled off from the rest of the world and um, having anything of substance, even if it's barely enough to get by. Um, yeah. And it just makes me think of like, our rich now who just sit and watch the there is no middle class but uh just the rest of us fight over the scraps that are left Mm -hmm. Uh, her family is taken from her and she must walk north to survive in the hopes of finding somewhere to be safe and heard parable the sower shows ulamina as she begins to find her tribe slowly through her journey accumulating strays in the needy she finds love and community on the road and seeks to build a stable home but there is more to Olamina and Parable of the Sower than a simple too-close-to-home apocalypse because Olamina doesn't only work to survive and build a community. Her greatest desire is to spread the word of Earthseed, to share the knowledge, hope, and destiny of a religion she found within herself. Earthseed, the books of the living, are Olamina's understanding of God, of humanity, and of hope. Um, having been raised by a Christian pastor, Olamina never felt Christianity was right. Later, seeing how the twisted version of Christian America could not just corrupt but destroy the country further only solidified this notion. For Olamina, Earthseed is truth. It is the answer. Throughout her life, she begins to write down these thoughts that she knows to be true. And at the heart of these texts is the, this understanding of God, mm-hmm. that God is change. Um, and one of the ones that... You hear a lot, but this is kind of like the foundation of Earthseed is all that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. As wind, as water, as fire, as life, God is both creative and destructive, demanding and yielding, sculptor and clay. God is infinite potential. God is change. Mm-hmm. And that, I can definitely unpack, um, is really the heart of 
everything that Olamina is doing <laughs> throughout this. Um, also, I call her Olamina because Bancole calls her Olamina. <laughs> so it just like felt right to me. Um, yeah. But she, do you call her Lauren? It says, you know. Um, but Olamina forms her community uh, at the end of Sower in the beginning of uh, Talents. Mm-hmm. And she founds this community around these ideologies and eventually finds a home on the land of her love, Bencole. And she dubs this community Acorn because it is a seed she intends to grow, a seed that is taken for granted and misunderstood because Olimina had grown up making and eating acorn bread, which is simply bread made from acorn flour. But this practice was learned from the ways of indigenous peoples who sought to utilize all of our environment and was unknown to others that help make their world sustainable. Um, the trees also symbolize a lot um, when, so they, in their journeys, they lose a lot of people. <laughs> Every one of them uh-huh. has lost everyone that's ever mattered to them. Uh, and as, you know, they're growing their community, they do this wonderful practice of burying their dead with seeds so that uh-huh. trees grow. And so, um, you know, death is just another change and so is life so it's kind of like this you're allowing them to to make this change um and to be able to celebrate them and let them contribute to the world um to the future so the Mm -hmm. trees mean a lot too and the acorns are super important for her in parable of the talents olamina's acorn has grown into a wonderful family-driven community of survivors after the rise of a monstrous political and religious figure jarrett Acorn is assaulted and destroyed, leaving Olamina without her partner, her child, or her community. She takes to the road once again, and in this journey finds that Earthseed could actually never have grown to its full potential in the one community that she had had, but rather needs to be spread. Other than change, there's a, one other important factor to Earthseed, and that is the destiny, which goes like this. The destiny of Earthseed is to take root among the stars. It is to live and to thrive on new Earths. It is to become new beings and to consider new questions. It is to leap into the heavens again and again. It is to explore the vastness of heaven. It is to explore the vastness of ourselves. And for Earthseed to reach the stars, Olamina will need to transform it from one small faction to something countrywide, smart and strong. I want to talk about our upcoming or incoming apocalypse, uh, because like I said, this world seems really close to ours. Like it really feels like on the doorstep, <laughs> like, yeah. just letting it in. Um, and I just wanted to, there's this um, quote from Ben Cole in the story that I wanted to kind of pull out because it feels really real. Um, he says, mm-hmm. I have read that the pox was caused by accidentally coinciding climactic, economic, and sociological crises, Van Cole writes. It would be more honest to say that the pox was caused by our own refusal to deal with obvious problems in those areas. We caused the problems. Then we sat and watched as they grew into crises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're doing right now. Um, much of the Earthseed series is unsettlingly realistic um, from the words of the corrupt and problematic president saying, we'll make America great again, um, which we all know wasn't Trump's saying first. Um, yeah. Which is why it's in here. <laughs> but who's who, like, who would have imagined that the second coming of that phrase would happen like in the same way and in this like 
Wow. Um, mm-hmm. His existence is an eerie parallel to the to the Trump presidency. And at one point, when Olamina is old enough to vote, she explains that her and her people did not vote for Jarrett, but instead for a former vice president that they didn't really like, that mm-hmm. rather he was a safer bet. It's better to vote for a man with nothing in his head than for a man who could cause irreparable damage to the country. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's what I did. Yeah. Um, nobody wanted him in there. Uh, <laughs> there we are. So it sounds a bit too familiar for me. Uh, and there's also nods to our ecological and economical disasters throughout the series. And um, it also sparks a distaste and fear for the future as we are in this very path to destruction. Yeah. So it's just like in Butler's world, uh, we are given these little teasers into what had happened to get there. Mm-hmm. And those are actively happening right now. Yeah. Um, so that's our apocalypse. I'll talk about that a little bit in our, my section. It's stressful. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we'll dive into that and <laughs> get sad, but it's fine. Because um, in the dark, we find light and found family, community, and care. So despite the bleak, horrifying world Olamina and her community live in, there is still hope. The hope lies much the hope lies much in the pages of Earthseed, but also in the actions of this community. Mm-hmm. Olamina's daughter Achevere, or Larkin, um, as Olamina had named her before she was stolen from her, explains how her mother's philosophy, the understanding of God as change, allowed her and her followers to accept the changing world they live in. The inevitable shift of power, dismantling and reassembling of society, death and birth of human life, all fit perfectly into this perception of God. God is change. And change is not always good, but it is always happening. And we are always affected by change. And though we can expect the horrors to come with that change, we can also hold out knowing that these horrors will not last forever mm-hmm. because they will change. Yeah. <laughs> so I have always believed in this balance and changing nature of the world. Um, so that really resonated with me, that idea of like, <laughs> there's going to be an out because there's going to be a change. Um, yeah. Olamina and her people got through some of the darkest of times, including imprisonment and abuse, intense traumas that suffered alone could have been de- detrimental to any emotional growth. Um, and we can actually see this uh, outcome through her brother, Marcus, who yeah. was alone in his uh, imprisonment and trauma. So mm-hmm. because these people had Earthseed and each other, they are able to rely on one another even after surviving the hell of Camp Christian. In Parable of the Talents, the second book of the series, Acorn is labeled a heretical cult of heathens and witches. They're collared, forced to work, stripped of their loved ones, and assaulted. Olamina's daughter and all the other children are stolen away, moved to good Christian homes. Um, Mm -hmm. And first, this idea came from just helping the children in need like regular children in need like orphanages or um if there were uh scary situations that kids were in they were taking them and putting them in homes um but then it turned into them just stealing kids from people they thought were unfit um Mm -hmm. and shouldn't have kids yeah that does (laughs) actually happen like now in society so people steal kids all like all the time (sighs) It's like not to like go on the tangent, but like this is why people are saying like there's different challenges for like 
the intersectional feminists versus just like white feminists who are upset about Roe v. Wade because there's always been these issues. Like the overturning of Roe v. Wade is because the country wants a very specific type of child to exist Mm -hmm. because our country has systematically sterilized women of color Mm-hmm. for generations so we know there's a specific type of baby they want and mm-hmm. the ones that they are getting they're sending away to the good christian homes um it's not very subtle and so in yeah. this it's just like you know um but despite the horrors acons convict <laughs> Oh my god, what's up with me? You got this game. Say words. You you can do it. Oh my god. That's Uh, almost that was almost funny enough that I hope you forget to edit it out. And it's just in there. Yeah. (laughs) I just wrote 27. (laughs) A mess. Um, okay, so Despite the horrors Acorn suffers, when they eventually find freedom, they're still able to hold on to their humanity, their compassion for one another to heal and grow. It is believing and understanding the change that is God that allows them to bounce back so effectively. Mm -hmm. Some might find the idea of a God as uncaring as changed to be dismaying, but I found it inspiring. It was a relief to not have this burden of expectation. And in Parable of the Talents, Ulamina explains another verse of Earthseed that releases us from the weight of sin and instead gives the power to shape your own potential and purpose. They say, we are born not with purpose, but with potential. Um, Which I was like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) To live for just to live right live to 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 push forward and to survive versus live to make this yeah. invisible man happy yeah being born with the idea of being born with purpose is a capitalistic notion um, yeah like you have to fulfill certain mm-hmm. roles or you're failing um versus you're born to exist and then you figure it out yeah everything and, from there's potential as long as you figured it out you did a good job <laughs> Yeah. So, like, what are we doing? So, there's also this double-bladed, like, nature of religion in the um, series. So, uh-huh. religion is a big theme explored uh, in it. And so, it can be a tool for hope or oppression. So, we see how religion reshapes the country, turning it ugly or uglier and vile. But we also see how Olamina succumbs to it. Her daughter often chides her in the second book, angry with her love of Earthseed. Asha refers to Earthseed as her mother's most favorite child. It steals her mother from her. She sees her mother not as a cult leader, um, although sometimes she does flat out just call her a cult leader, Mm -hmm. uh, a corruptive force not too far from the likes of Christian America, which was this other forceful shadow that she had to live under. And so... Butler offers us the true face of religion that is multifaceted. It is a changeling that takes shape um, in different hands and can be used either to harm or elevate people. It's all a matter of who's holding them. Mm -hmm. So even the titles strengthen the morals of the series and kind of talk about this dichotomous nature because some of the passages in the Bible can be used to harm populations mm-hmm. and people um but we can also take some of those messages and repurpose them into something that we can apply in our life and feel inspired by and so in the biblical parable of the sower we have this man that represents god and the seed is his message right so just as a planted seed starts to grow 
the word of God starts to deepen and grow within a person. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what she's doing in the first one, right? She's just planting the seed into the minds of the people around her who are in great need of something to believe in. Um, yeah. And it's important to give them that because it allows them to be stronger when they're faced with even more challenges. Mm-hmm. In the biblical parable of the talents, the moral lesson is that we are to use and grow our gifts from God for his glory. So now that we have given them, like that we've planted the seeds, now we have these gifts and the we have to do something with them. We yeah. have to do the next step in that process, in that evolution. So even though Olamina does not believe in Christianity, it is not the God she believes or understands to exist. She still respects the power it can hold. And mm-hmm. these lessons can be used even now to shape our world into something less bleak. Um, so what do we learn? <laughs> it doesn't say a lot. So here we go. Specifically in an article on Slate titled, Why So Many Readers Are Turning to Olivia Butler's Apocalypse Fiction Right Now, writer Rebecca Onion explains... Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents contain many plot elements that seem to have predicted our current circumstances. But because Olamina's story is also the story of a prophet, and because Butler is interested in how people might retain their humanity and direction through conditions of extreme chaos and change, the Earthseed books are instructional in a way that other apocalypse fictions are not. They are not prepper fiction, though reading them will teach you a thing or two about go-bags and the importance of posting a night watch. According to people who love the books, myself included, they offer something beyond practical preparations, a blueprint for adjusting to uncertainty, um, to change, (laughs) because really that's what you need. Wasn't there's, I don't have it in my section, Kat, but I know something that really stuck out to you because it kind of is like our show (laughs) is Uh that um, sometimes the biggest thing you can do is just educate yeah. <laughs> just tell someone and try to like inform them of things and that's a powerful tool when we can't like fight in a more like physical or practical way that people are envisioning yeah um, like learning there's something just so powerful about learning yeah exactly um I had actually tried to read Parable of the Sower when I was younger and I couldn't get past the beginning the world was just so terrifying and horrific that I couldn't continue with it like it was just I wasn't in a right headspace <laughs> for mm-hmm. something so upsetting um and I also wasn't like a strong enough I'd say activists even, um, to really understand the powerful messages. So I didn't continue with it. But I had been really interested in Lauren Oya Alamina immediately. I identified with her empathy, though mine is not as severe. (laughs) I will not like die a bunch of times when I see someone else die. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could relate to that feeling of connection, of understanding and thought um, that I feel like other people didn't always have. And furthermore, Mm -hmm. like Olamina, I too was disappointed and unfulfilled by Christianity. Christianity. It seemed to be missing much and inspiring nothing good. So Earthseed in the idea of God being changed, not a man, not even a creature, but just the act of change, the guarantee of change was interesting to me. For Mm -hmm. me, it means we are full of infinite potential, that our world is too. And it can be terrifying at times, because after all, chaos is God's most dangerous face. But Mm. there is hope for we can seize change, use it adapt and grow um I'm like becoming a shaper 
yeah. <laughs> which is like the the real like that's what the, like you want to be a pastor you're a shaver um and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna start like preach like just reading scripture to people <laughs> like yeah that is change um yeah. be the change so the earth seed series equips us with some practical skills as Rebecca Onion had explained um because I now I'm assembling my own go bag and looking up indigenous sustainability gardening so yeah. if anyone has a really good acorn bread recipe I would love to try it um but yeah I'm like on Pinterest like how do I make a garden and not kill everything <laughs> I'm so bad at it but yeah. more importantly Butler instills in us powerful hopeful prose that can protect us further than just a go bag uh because once we've survived an initial assault we need to sustain ourselves and persevere Butler teaches us lessons about empowering our communities with lines like embrace diversity, unite or be divided, robbed, ruled, killed by those who see you as prey, embrace diversity or be destroyed. Um, You know, I always be preaching that (laughs) um, or to protect yourselves even within those communities to accept that not everyone can be saved. And our strength comes in educating each other. Um, There's saying that drowning people sometimes die fighting their rescuers Um, to evolve past what we've known and pursue our personal destinies. A tree cannot grow in its parents' shadows. Um, And I'm just like, (laughs) like, all these make so much sense. Uh, (laughs) But ultimately we learn that the destiny of Earthseed is to take root among the stars. And this world is not all that we have left, but rather is the beginning. We can strive for more, for better. We can hope for it, but also expect it to be true. Uh, And I found it quite apt that the Earthsea trilogy remains unfinished. We leave off right before the destiny is realized, colonizing the stars. A ship is sent to space without Lauren, who is too elderly to embark on the journey to our future. Um, She has led us this far, instilling into us the possibility, the hope, and the necessity for growth and expansion. Just as our narrator and shaper Lauren is gone, so is Octavia, and she will not be traveling to the stars with us, but she has made it possible in her ways to get us there. So Octavia has sown the seeds and provided us the talents uh, (laughs) we only need now to use our gifts to grow, to realize her hopeful future. I was like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> I'm like, like so sad that she like didn't get to finish it. But like in the ending, the epilogue of talents, I was like, she didn't even know, but this is her. <laughs> and like, it yeah. was almost like her message to us saying like, it's okay that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> Which just is like, like crazy because she didn't know. It was just yeah. like, I accept that that's not going to be my future, but it, it's our future. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, you're beautiful. I love you. Um, <laughs> but for more deep dives into Octavia's parables, you can check out Octavia Tried to Tell Us, which is by scholar and minister Monica Coleman and Afrofuturist author Tanana Reeve Du. Um, these are monthly webinars that explore the work through our current lens of the pandemic world. Um, there's even a t-shirt that says Octavia Tried to Tell Us that I'm going to get me and Kat. Um, nice. <laughs> there's also Octavia's Parables, which is a podcast by Toshi Regan and activist Adrian Marie Brown, which I've talked about 
bunch already. Um, and this podcast aims to read through all of Butler's work and features music from the Parable of the Sower Opera, which Regan co-wrote with her mother. And That's I have cool. already put on my Spotify <laughs> to yeah. listen to for motivation um, because I'm just like, yeah, I need that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I have yeah. to say. I hope it was educational. I know it's forever. No, I think um, it was. And <laughs> what's terrifying is that like so much of this is so close to reality, but there's also something very calming about that also. Like it's like mm-hmm. a weird mix of both because of like the lessons that happen in the book where you're just like, yeah, everything will change and it is inevitable, but also we can shape that change. But also if we light on fire and have to come out new people now, that's also a part of it. And that the Phoenix thing, and you know, it's just yeah. really, like, all ties together in that. And also like the acceptance, like I think a lot of people are just like, we need to live forever. And it's like, also maybe we don't see that change, but other people will. Other humans yeah. who hopefully suck slightly less will go forth <laughs> and do things that might be good or something I don't know like it doesn't have to be us necessarily too there's like something kind of yeah I'm all for like the not selfish population because we've just come out of generations and we see the results generations yeah of selfishness yeah that we're like uh, it doesn't matter because we're comfortable now so we don't care what happens later and it's just like there is no later now because you just care about like I understand that if I plant a tree, I'm not going to see it be really large, um, but I need to plant this tree. <laughs> like It's vital that this tree is planted for future. Um, I also think like with this, and even though it's like so bleak, it's that the future that we're going to get isn't something that's unimaginable. It's not something that is so absurd that we wouldn't be able to prepare for it and mm-hmm. react to it like ahead of time (laughs) like we can get ready um and I think that's really empowering too like Lauren and I think by you know uh default also Octavia is just relentlessly positive like anytime like things brought them down they got back up and were like well that like that is awful what happened but it happened and now we need to keep going yeah we have to keep thinking do just have to do and keep doing and that's going to be hard but it is kind of what it is at this point yeah yeah Yeah. we gotta burn yeah so that we can rise all right take it away (laughs) um I want to say one that I really loved your section Gabe uh thank you like it made one made me feel a lot better about my section in like the way that sometimes it's okay to just like learn you know yeah. You don't always have to have an actionable next step. Do actionable next steps help? Yes. But I was like really anxious. I was like, I don't have enough things people can do when they're done with the show. And I was like, oh, oh. what are we going to do? They need next steps, guys. They need them. And I was like, okay, there are some. But also part of this whole journey is learning. So I feel better about my section. So thank you. You're you welcome. Did that friend. <laughs> but, um, yeah. First I want to talk about how much I love this book. I read this book quicker than I've ever read any other book in the history of my entire life, which is saying something. Cause I would take months to read like children's youth fiction. Um, <laughs> adult fiction would take me like months. I remember reading like the book thief in college and it took me literally like six months to get through that book. I got through this book in two and a half half days. 
which I think wow. really says one, the power of accessibility through Scribd, but also just like how great this book was. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I literally felt like I could not put it down and don't tell anyone. I'm, I, I didn't say this, but I did. Like I would read it in all of my downtime, like literally like I have two seconds in between a meeting. I'm going to read like six pages, you know, like mm -hmm. such an integral part of my day for these two and a half days that I was like obsessed. I could not put it down. Um, and I think part of what that was, was one, what this like book was doing. Like, I think like, as you were saying, Gabe, like it really just took things. It wasn't just hopeless. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like honestly, we're going to talk about Handmaid's Tale. Like, I felt very hopeless at the end of that book. Like there was no <laughs> yeah. good to happen yeah. ever again. Um, everything's just terrible and it's just how life is. But it wasn't that. This book was horrifying, yes. But it also like taught me so much in accepting change and accepting like reality and also like realizing like we do have the power to shape that and also we have the power to prepare and learn and like sometimes even if it feels small like the greatest thing you can do is just learn stuff so that you can one teach others but also prepare yourself um so this book was amazing that's how I feel and uh, yeah. that it gave you something very tangible at the end um and the world inside Curve of the Summer and Talents as we were saying is like feels so close to ours eerily similar in that it almost felt like it was providing an answer to a question that internally I've been like repeating in my head for a few years now. And that's like, what, if anything, can I do to prepare for the inevitable chaos that is building and building? Mm -hmm. And then what, if anything, can I do to stop it, shape it, change it, do something, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and even through a work of fiction, this book gave tangible next steps to help with that anxiety surrounding that feeling and not like rejecting it, just like working around it, accepting that that feeling is going to exist and like learning how to cope with that in a way that felt very understandable and valid. Um, mm -hmm. So however long we may have before things get worse, this book provides ways to cope with that inevitability, Earthseed being a practical and logical way of understanding the world around us and its ever-changing ways. There's a lot of comfort in the idea that Octavia Butler proposes as a way to deal with reality ways to make sure you survive change, adapt to change, and while doing so, help others. Um, it seems that in the many years since the publishing of Parable of the Sower in 1993 and Parable of the Talents 2001, much of the country has not changed for the better in addressing these serious concerns. Um, time has made many of the problems addressed in these books even more prevalent, closer to the dystopian, and, and that part of what makes this book so impactful is that it feels now, mm -hmm. you know, and Octavia's perspective and foresight on the state of the U.S. is hauntingly accurate, and many of us in our current lives can relate to the characters within the story in a very visceral and real way to the point where, like, when you get to the really sad parts, you literally feel like you've lost your friends. Yeah. And it makes you sad for, like, three days. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Like, you miss them, and you're like, I don't actually know these people. Like these yeah. are book characters, but you like feel that. And I think mm -hmm. that's just like is a testament to her writing style. Um, and also just how real a lot of this stuff is. So in my section, I'm going to provide you with some historical context for Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Um, while Parable of the Sower was written in 1980s and 1990s, uh, its influence from those time periods is very clear in reading the book uh, because a lot of these themes of 
one, things to fear, but also like problems societally were really coming to a head in the 80s. So to provide that context, the big concerns of the 80s were illiteracy, wealth inequality, crime, homelessness, and climate change, among other things. Um, there are act these things are actively present throughout the themes of the book and tie together in like that intersectional way in which they all kind of like cause and shape each other. Mm -hmm. in the same way that change does. So <laughs> illiteracy ties into wealth inequality as well as crime and homelessness. And all these factors influence the prevalence of illiteracy in this like cyclical way. Additionally, all of these impact climate change in our financial barriers to make a positive impact on our planet. So mm. I would like to thank a study guide for Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, uh, which Gabe showed me and which provided a lot of like overview of the influence of the book and then like influenced my research for the following. So I'm going to start with illiteracy. Um, in 1989, it was estimated that 13% of 17-year-olds in America could not read or write, and that 20 million Americans had problems with literacy. For Octavia's lens, in writing this book, literacy levels were an important piece to the puzzle that led to the world Lauren lived in. In the 1980s, according to a study guide, the study guide mentioned previously, 96% of those between 21 and 25 year, years old had basic reading levels, um, so like elementary, um, mm. but less than 28 were capable of reading a map as well as enough, well enough to like use it properly. By 1990, that would be me. I don't know yeah. if I can read a map. That's one of the things we have to learn about to prep. Um, <laughs> so true. Yeah. By 1993, it was estimated that over 40% of the adult population fell short of the literacy skills needed to exceed, succeed on a day-to-day -day basis. That is so stressful. Yeah, it's gone up. So that's fine. Oh, good. So where are we now? Um, an article from USA Today titled Illiteracy is Costing America. Here's why. The U.S. reading crisis is 20 years in the making. 130 million read below a sixth grade level. Written mm -hmm. by Nick Gade, president of the Lexia Learning, which is like the main tool used a lot in public schools to evaluate reading levels, um, mm. as well as like method, we actually use it at my work and also when I was working in schools. Um, and it's like the way they level books as well as like have tests for the thing. So they ties into like public standardized testing. Um, mm. They speak on the current literacy situation in the U.S. And in a quote, according to the U.S. Department of Education, nearly 130 million American adults read below a sixth grade level. Now consider how that number represents more than half of the adults of the U.S. population. It's like 54%, I believe, if I remember oh correctly. The cause of these illiteracy rates and also like these low literacy rates, so like they can read, but the reading- Not well. Yeah, not well. Um, and those illiteracy and literacy rates are similar to the ones in the 1980s in that they connect to poverty and wealth inequality as a major cause. Um, the history of redlining and discriminatory educational funding also adds to this issue. And these things have only been more drastically impacted by the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. specifically the digital divide um, mm -hmm. to shift schooling to homes Technology and internet had to have existed, which it doesn't exist for much of the population in the United yeah. States. Like, there's a very big divide in digital access as well as internet access. Um, kids having to like do their homework in a McDonald's parking lot because that's like the only place that has free Wi-Fi. 
Yep. Um, the issues of the 1980s have not seemed to improve much, despite the recognition that it's a national problem. Um, in the 1980s, there was like a big call for literacy activists. Like there needs to be more supports for literacy and teaching people how to read. Um, but the solutions to these things haven't been productive in a lot of ways, um, in that their causes aren't being addressed. It's mm -hmm. very much like we don't teach critical race theory here, um, energy. Yeah. In that like, <laughs> the problem is that they're not acknowledging like the systemic aspect of this, like the, mm -hmm. the fact that it's intentionally done this way um, is not what's being addressed. It's more like, we need to do this or that. And it's usually, organized into actually like increasing the disparities between schools because they're like those kids are helpless hopeless there's no future for them so we're just going to invest more in the places that are doing well by judging standardized testing totally not acknowledging one that standardized tests are written to be racist because they're geared to have white children succeed or socially economically like well-off kids succeed because the things that they even reference are outside of the lens Mm -hmm. of the populations that they're testing. Like their kids who don't go to public school <laughs> is who mm -hmm. they're writing these tests for. Um, and all of that to say, like the system itself in attempting to solve the problem has in many ways made the problem worse. So I am not a data person. I want to say that to start. Um, so I'm going to have to assume the math that I've read in articles is accurate. I've done like a little bit of data Acknowledgement, but it's, it's very hard for me to figure out because it's just so many numbers all in one place. So if someone would like to fact check me, if you think I'm full of crap and I don't know what I'm talking about, you can do so. Um, I've listed a link in my blog that lists the original data source that tells us all these numbers. Um, but my interpretation of it based on all the articles that I read is that according to Think Impact, about 21% of the US adults are considered illiterate, meaning they score a level one or below and that's according to 2022. 21% um, of adults in this country are considered illiterate. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to sit with. And then the other percent, about 130 million American adults, read below, they can read, but they read below a sixth grade level. Mm -hmm. um, so like 54, then 21%. And then there's another percentage that reads like real good. Yeah. Um, so literary impacts, literacy impacts many areas of life, but especially income, meaning that low literacy rates, especially in if more than half of the U.S. adults read below a sixth grade level, mean that poverty is an inevitability, according to our current societal structure. Mm -hmm. It is intentionally in place. Um, it's also something that's like very obvious in like a lot of misogynistic literature as well as just like in Handmaid's Tale that one of the lines in there is like the problem was we taught them how to read um yeah. referencing women so like this is all very intentionally done literacy and the literacy rates are the way that they are because there is a systemic problem mm -hmm. um, in parable of the talents women aren't allowed to read either mm -hmm. so exactly uh it kind of ties back to that there's recognition that illiteracy leads to oppression mm -hmm. or ease in oppression like being able to oppress people because they do not have within our societal structure any power if they have the inability to read because the yeah. system is organized to make sure that you need to have these certain skills to succeed because your whole life is to have purpose not potential um 
capitalism, fun stuff. Um, next, I'll talk about wealth inequality. Uh, income inequality is something that uh, is a big thing in this book, as well as just like the lack of access to income in general, um, mm -hmm. as well as like the wealth inequality and disparities between the very rich, the middle class, and the very poor. Um, but the it's really big, the way it influences them is more how the characters view wealth as well. Like if we're thinking of the cults, the, the not mm -hmm. the not acorn but like the ones that are like eat the rich we gotta yeah. burn everything down um a lot of this has to do with our perception of wealth um and how that relates to like the idea of the middle and upper middle class uh the vast gap between the 0.01 percent and the 0.1 percent and everyone else influences this perception of wealth in a way that skews and like divides everyone below that line mm -hmm. um so something we see is uh, in Parable of the Sorrowing Talents is that self-sufficiency is equated to rich when within the eat the rich mantra in that version of society. And it's largely like what we see now in dividing the upper middle class and people suffering for poverty um, in that the poor are blamed for all the problems. They're the depraved, depend, like deplorable, whatever, like they're the ones mm -hmm. who can be, they're the problem and we need to get rid of them and that will solve everything yeah that will make it so that i can be like the top 0.01 percent because i'm so close to there when that idea isn't real um so what it ends yeah. up doing for like the very poor is that we see the even the top 10 percent even the middle 40 percent as rich comparatively because there's such a vast difference in income inequality um mm. and this is what kind of influences the whole painted people who literally are burning people who yes they have walls but even people who don't have walls anyone who has just like slightly more is sustaining themselves in any way is considered rich in that analogy so mm -hmm. I found a really fun chart that shows this in a really easy to understand way look at this fun chart that I found <laughs> um most of us are the depressing green line that goes so low off the chart that you can't even see it sometimes. The middle 40% are doing just okay uh, with some level of self-sufficiency, but are likely a layoff away from joining the green line. The top 10% are a few fire humans away from joining the bottom 90. And the top 1% that is often talked about as like the big enemy is actually closer to the bottom 50% than the top one point, the top 0.1 or 0.01%. So in comparison to the 0.1 and 0.01%, the top 1% aren't even that rich. Mm -hmm. They're just very far enough above like the 10% to like kind of have stuff um, and manage themselves on a somewhat like have a somewhat safe situation in the parable of the sower dystopian world. They're like house, house seed. What are they called? The places that wanted to take Bencole as a doctor. They're just like a little bit well, more well off mm -hmm. and are able to like, kind of like maintain their semblance of normalcy in this post apocalyptic hellscape. Um, but this is like my interpretation of where we currently stand in that it's interesting that this divide that Octavia like writes about so clearly is relatively small, but it's also growing. Like if we think about the 1980s, if you look at the chart again, the 1980s, the wealth disparities were not that great. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't as severe. Like it was rising, sure, but it was not where we are in 2020, where you yeah. can't. There's not even a way to reach the people at the top mm-hmm. in that version. Um, so, if anything, it's just like a really stressful. What is the word? Prediction. It's like mm-hmm. she knew. She's like, we see it's going it's up coming. a little bit. It's gonna keep going. Just gonna keep going there. Um, so the next thing I'll talk about is crime. Uh, crime is a very prevalent theme in the book. And the fear of crime is something that was really prevalent in the 1990s, even mm-hmm. though crime statistics went down in the 1990s. Um, but there was still this large fear of crime and this idea that it was going to increase largely due to the news and the political climate. Um, the majority of Americans viewed crime as a serious issue that needed attention, but simultaneously misunderstood the actual causes of crime, similar to how they misunderstood the actual causes of illiteracy, among other things. Um, <laughs> this meant that the solutions that were sought out, funded, etc., were influenced by the skewed perspective that are largely influenced by racism, capitalism, ableism, homophobia, and transphobia. Um, this fear of crime is what influences the push of the traditionalist white Christian America in the book, as well as in our actual real life country, because there's this fundamental misunderstanding of the causes of crime. Mm-hmm. That crimes at large stem from a lack of funding of education, social programs, housing supports. You, should be, you shouldn't have to pay for insurance or medical service. Like the, the yeah. You have a right to exist without being able to just pay for stuff. Um, and yeah. that the fact that we have a system that necessitates paying for stuff, necess- like necessitates crime. And that that yeah. will always exist if we do not make the supports and fund the things that actually need the supports that support like livelihoods and people existing in a way where they're not on death's doorstep every day. Um, that will solve crime. And all of the other mm-hmm. issues. But the misunderstanding is also very prevalent today in our current political climate. You can see that through the pandemic, as well as increased poverty resulting in even more desperate populations and an increase in crime because of that. Um, according to a study about today, uh, pandemic, social unrest, crime in the U.S. cities, year-end 2021 update, indicates that crime has increased in all areas from 2019 to 2021 largely due to the economic impact of the pandemic, especially homicides, aggravated and gun assaults and domestic violence specifically rose the most. And what was interesting is that the only statistics that seemed to go down were burglary, larceny and drug offenses, specifically between 2020 and 2021. So there was not data within this document that I found that listed the comparison between 2019 and 2020, which I honestly think would have been more helpful um, because that probably would have said something different. However, something that did increase very drastically between 2020 and 2021 was car thefts. Specifically, they increased by 14%, which considering the prices of cars right now and gas, that makes a lot of sense considering Mm -hmm. like in the book, how prevalent car theft or like the complete non-existence of cars was in Parable of the Sower and Talents. It makes a lot of sense. Um, And there's that feeling of lack of prospects and economic growth that is something that many Americans feel, especially in trying to find jobs that don't actively put you in harm's way, let alone finding jobs at all. Um, Also in relevance to crime, but also modernized slavery, our prison industrial complex is already using slave labor for companies 
So the world described in parables is already very close to our current reality now. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about two other issues that are prevalent within the book, specifically homelessness and climate change. Um, homelessness in the time of Octavio's writing a parable of the sower, homelessness in America had an impacted estimated 2 million people in 1989. According to the study guide, this is largely due to the Reagan administration's massive cuts to welfare programs and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, specifically HUD, and their budgets. Um, the situation was exacerbated by the poverty rate, as well as the increasing gap between the rich and poor. So this is kind of what made it possible for us to be where we are now. Um, these problems of homelessness continue to exist today, largely impacting LGBTQIA youth and adults, veterans and individuals living with disabilities and mental illnesses, as well as people dealing with substance abuse, as well as just like families. Lots of families, mm -hmm. like 20% were parents with kids, um, yeah. I believe. California though, specifically has one of the largest populations of homeless Americans. And as Octavia was a California resident, it makes sense that homelessness would be such a prevalent theme in parables because it was something that they saw every day. Um, today, about 552,830 people are homeless in the US. So the number has decreased, which is positive, but still remains a consistent problem in the US that I think considering the way the economy is swinging could increase again, unfortunately, if we don't look out for each other. Mm -hmm. um, the last one I'm gonna talk about is climate change. It's very short, um, but it's just that climate change and its impact are really prevalent in the book. And we see that in the warming of the North, the erosion of coastlines and the lack of rainfall and the ease for fire starting. Um, in the time this book was written, global warming was starting to be talked about. Uh, the increase in gas prices and the impact of fossil fuels was also a prevalent theme in the book. And it's something that we're seeing now uh, as we, as lots of people don't push for green energy and instead are just like, keep doing fossil fuels, they're working just fine, lower gas prices. When The solution would not be that um, to invest in green energy. Um, but it's something that was really prevalent in the book and is actually really prevalent now as we see in the temperature changes, in the warming, in the erosion of our coastlines. Like all those things are actually starting the process of now. And if you remember from our environmental horror series, there are things that you can do I recommend listening to that one. Um, specifically, check out climateclock.net. They li they'll link you to a lot of different resources. But if you're curious and want to learn about what you can do to help with climate change, go there. Uh, our specifically, what was it called with the man with the beard? Don't look up. <laughs> we talk a lot about like things you can do within that episode, as well as like what climate activists have been trying to say for a very long time. Um, we have about seven years. So seven years, four days. I checked today. Um, to kind of get things to a better place so that we don't lose this planet and have to take root among the stars. Um, yeah. Also with climate change, just thinking of the time period, Parable of the Talents was published in 2001. And in 2000, that's when Al Gore was running for president. And he was a big advocate for climate change yeah. and understanding that we were... truth. Yep. <laughs> so it was, it was right in the middle of us starting to talk about it and no one took him serious then. So yeah. Because it was inconvenient, even though it was mm. the truth. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah, it's almost like the title just made a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> but lastly, what can we learn from these books and the life of Lauren Oya Olamina? What, what do we get from this? Because that's something that was really powerful about this book is that you left it and you're like, wow, I've learned something. Mm -hmm. And that is part doomsday prep but that's also part just like the power of knowledge the power of learning the power of just like 
being aware of the world around you. Um, Mm -hmm. So the biggest takeaways that I got from the Earthseed series, other than maybe like a new religion for myself, um, but Mm -hmm. it was to learn as much as possible while you can. Learn about the land you live in, learn how to utilize and cultivate plant life native to your area, learn to decolonize your view of this land and how, if necessary, you will need to survive on it as a way in ways that you like you never considered before. Um, learn recipes and methods for cooking from scratch that don't depend on stores or capitalism. Learn skill sets that are practical and life-saving, like first aid, reading a map, self-defense, gardening, carpentry, electronics, etc. Um, if you think it could save your life one day, learn about it as a hobby, even if it's just mm-hmm. as a hobby. You don't have to like go to school and become a doctor. It's okay. Like just try to learn as much as you can within the realm of possibility that you see and learn about, um, at, even if it's a hobby. So learn things that will not only be useful for points of knowledge to save yourself, but to those that you love or will come to love. Um, prepare for change by being mindful of the world around you and what it's capable of. Prepare as much as you can and accept that no matter how hard you try, there will always be things that will surprise you. No matter how prepared you are, there will be things that surprise you. But part of just accepting that inevitability helps with coping with it. Yeah, Um, and the surprises are bad and good. Yeah, like the change can be like really positive change or horrific change. And like both are possible at all intervals of your life. Um, all you can do is like kind of adjust to that adapt. You have to be adaptive. Um, but doing these things will not only help you in the long run in surviving an unexpected and chaotic situation, but will also help like you and your current environment influence positively around you. Um, in addition to just attaining knowledge, you can prepare yourself in other ways, like making go bags, hidden caches, organizing yourself in ways that support you in dealing with change. Um, the book offers a lot of just like helpful go bag suggestions, stocking for it specifically in the accumulating cash maps, medical supplies, seeds that are native to your area, tools, survival items like water tablets, um, quality pieces of clothing, etc will also be an essential piece to surviving in an unexpected situation. It'll also help alleviate that anxiety that kind of goes into this feeling of not being in control of what's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. It just kind of like lets you exhale a little bit as you kind of have like next steps. You're like, wow, okay, there are things that I can be doing. Yeah, Um, you have a fallback. mm -hmm. So things that you can be learning about. I found some websites. I want to kind of expand on this as time happens, kind of similarly to our last series on F the Patriarchy. I don't want to kind of like have these exist as static, never changing blogs. I want things to change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's change. Uh, so I found a website that allows you to search areas that of plants that are native to where you live to make sure you're working with your environment instead of against it. It's called nwf.org native plant finder. Um, they also, that would also help climate change in that you're building your local and environment around you in a way that like helps nature. And yeah, you're not bringing invasive species in. Yeah. That will destroy everything. Um, I remember seeing on Facebook, there's like collect a bunch of seeds and throw them out your car window while you're driving. It's like, no, cause like invasive species exist, make sure they're native to your area. Um, mm-hmm. But this like ultimately also helps climate change. Uh, there's also ways you can play in places you can learn and be taught about foraging and herbalism. I found the herbal herbal Academy uh, and they offer courses. Uh, they were a little expensive, but it did find it interesting. Um, In foraging, it's important to be mindful of the environments around you and your impact on them. Learn about the ways in which different plants grow and the importance of not 
overforaging or damaging local ecosystems. I found the atlasobscura.com, which offers how to forage wild foods. Um, there's also like a lot of TikTokers that exist that do this too. Obviously, mm -hmm. they, they do so safely um, and do so in a way that you don't become an invasive species more than we already are as humans. Yeah, and um, there might be like local groups too that teach you foraging and, and gardening as well. Yeah. If you do not have a green thumb like me, uh, I have a horrible, I can't grow things. I'm so bad at it. I murder everything I touch um, in terms of plants. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm trying to unlearn that. I'm trying to figure out how to not be that. Um, so that's part yeah. of my learning journey right now. Um, I also found a really interesting thing called the Gathering Basket Cookbooks, which is rooted in the cultivation of indigenous food sovereignty and elevating and preserving indigenous narratives called iCollective, and it's developing a cookbook and webinar series to assist in strengthening and connecting our people to their food, specifically Indigenous people. Indigenous food sovereignty is critical because many health issues are tied to colonialism and the exploitation of resources, lands, and people. So it's called iCollective.org. Um, iCollectiveInc.org. I'll also add um, Fresh Banana Leaves, mm -hmm. which is healing uh, the indigenous landscape through indigenous science, um, which I just like I've recently started actually like when I went out and bought it because of our eco horror series. So um, yeah, it, now I'm like even more motivated. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's it feels all in very tangible things that like you can be doing mm -hmm. that can be fun too. Like reading this book as horrifying it was, was fun. Yeah. I will also add like, cause it wasn't something that was entirely like touch upon cause it wasn't really prevalent. Like the issues weren't there in the eighties um, or like in 93, 2001 to, to this degree. But there's also the issue of media literacy, which is like our whole show. Yeah. Um, but it's just understanding the impact that media has, like uh, just understanding how that has shaped the, like the understanding of the world around us, like people who mm -hmm. only get a certain type of media that are teaching them or instilling those things. Like it just confirms some of those fears that they have of this idea that like crime was on the rise, like, cause news was telling you crime is on the rise. And instead of you asking like, what are they not showing us? What is this news not telling yeah. us? Because we're not asking those critical questions of media. And so that contributes to the problem too. Um, in talents, they, there's a bit of dabbling into like VR, um, which I found very interesting that even though like, cause again, VR didn't exist <laughs> in 93. So yeah. I don't think she like would have even imagined that there's also an entire like, discussion to be had about how VR can can generate empathy in a way but it can also be a harmful tool for um teaching people how to like be reactive and like um desensitize them to certain violence like sometimes like to conserve bullets we have like military professionals shooting uh in VR so they learn how to do that they see an enemy that's just like a faceless person now they can go and do that all the time. But then on the other side, so it can put people in into situations and force them to have to live through them, uh, you know, encouraging empathy um, in a way that like regular media just can't do. Um, so it's like, again, it's kind of this idea of um, change, right? And how it's all a matter of whose hands it's in, like religion too. It's like whose hands are shaping this religion whose hands are shaping this technology because that's what's going to like impact how it's going to come about yeah. and if it's going to be harmful or 
powerful, like empowering. Whose hands are making your favorite movies or books? Whose hands are teaching in your schools? Whose hands are making the textbooks that go in the schools? Mm -hmm. And whose hands are taking stuff away, like taking stuff out of the textbooks or, you know, Mm -hmm. not telling those stories. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's also like, it's, if you watch Stranger Things recently, there's like that whole tie back to like D&D was seen as like Satanism. Mm-hmm. Is it? No, it's just like a fun role playing game. Yeah. <laughs> but like people viscerally like feared it with like so much like the amount of you really just have to know what you're taking in and like why and how yeah. and like looking at it critically. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. understanding it's like a distraction <laughs> tactic. Yeah. There's so much yeah. to be said about this, this series um, that I definitely didn't like, we just, we could talk about it forever. <laughs> Why the episode is so long as it is um, because there's, a, there's so much to impact because she, she really is going over a lot and we're used to like, or at least I'm used to covering like a film that's like top mm-hmm. two, three hours long. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, covering that, but these are two, entire very lengthy very uh jam-packed books um that are really like testaments to the world that she saw and and i really appreciated your section cat um in like putting those things into context right because like we're reading it in the modern day and we're like wow it's horrible but she like inferred from where she was and she's not far off like she knew it was going to get worse in all of these different aspects and that's exactly true. Uh, and she yeah. knows why. Like, <laughs> I said it in the last one. Uh, just, like, one of the things that stuck with me from um, the Lilith Brood series is, like, this idea that the human, like, humanity's sickness, like, the one thing that keeps us here is this need to, like, put ourselves in a caste system and to compete with each other in this way instead of, like, uniting yeah. as a people, right? It's just, like, we need to, like, come together like that's what she says isn't it like diversity like um yeah yeah. that's one of the quotes that I wrote down from parable of the talents actually it's really funny that you bring that up because it's like we humans have seem to always have to find comfort and to have someone else to look down on a bottom level of fellow creatures who are very vulnerable but who can somehow be blamed or punished for all of our troubles yeah I will say like so the Earthseed series is, as we said, incomplete. But mm-hmm. for me, I was kind of finding, and I don't know if this is like the intent. I actually don't even know. Let me, um, one second. Let's brood. Let's see when the first one was published. 1987. Okay, so it was even before. Uh, yeah. So she did before. Um, but uh, the Lilith's Brood series is like, it's science fiction because we are with aliens the world we blew ourselves up essentially we made the earth uninhabitable and now we have to like kind of reconcile with what humans are gonna have to become in order to survive and so i'm like that's kind of like we're in the stars baby like yeah (laughs) like that's the sequel even though i was written out of order but i mean okay if we think about last episode and her whole like life story, she wrote a lot of this stuff when she was like 12 mm-hmm. and then took those ideas and put them into books. So she also likes to write backwards, like the, with the mm-hmm. Patternist series, she wrote the Patternist yeah. first and then went back and like to figure out how she got to there. So yeah. I think Lilith Brood in a way is like this, you know, 
answer in a way. Like if, if Earthsea didn't exist, then yeah. Lilith's brood makes sense because uh, there's the hope in the end of Earthsea that we do go to the stars actively, like we did it. Um, whereas yeah. in Lilith's brood, it's like, someone came and saved us so yeah. <laughs> ultimately i think like for octavia she's like we gotta get out of here like we messing this yeah. up there's no planet b um it's mess like we gotta get out of here um and whether that's someone swooping in saving the day or uh i'll be real i'm happy i'm probably not gonna get to go to the stars i i think that's where my level of acceptance <laughs> yeah yeah it's like that seems scary in a lot and i'm okay if everyone else goes to the stars and i stay here until gone now and that's yeah. okay but i'm gonna help them get to the stars that's fine with me 100 set everyone like help them get there but scary for I don't want to be in space. Yeah, I will say I have <laughs> always like underwater, but up. Yeah, I hate. Yeah, I, you know, I <laughs> you know how I feel about space. Claustrophobia ain't having it. But yeah. I will say one of the biggest things that would always like where I was like, there's no way I would ever go to space. Um, one there's like the financial thing, right? Like we, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the wealthier going to space if we are gonna put a thing. But there's also yeah. like there are specific qualifications. Like if we're sending people to space, they're going to be like doctors and scientists and people who are going to like do that. But I think it's the, a road analogy, yeah. Yeah. But say- I think the issue like uh, and so before I was like I'm not going to go cuz I don't have any practical reasons to be in space. Like what can I contribute to the future of society? But I'm like wait a second, actually no. I can because I contribute to education, <laughs> to like mm-hmm. a culture, right? So it's like, yeah, we can bring scientists and doctors or whatever. We keep people alive. We make plants. But what do people do? <laughs> like, yeah. How do we like keep people being people and, and not slaves or just like drones, right? Um, and so true. I think educators and creatives have every right to be in space and actually should be there like if we're gonna go somewhere else like that's yeah also a necessity you're and i need art yeah and they keep you're gonna need to... shapers gabe gonna need shapers. Need them. uh and that's why you know they're always trying to defund art programs and it's just like another form of oppression um yeah and silencing so yeah it's i will say i want i like you were saying like you were saying with the like find yourself a hobby I was thinking that and I was talking to um my fiance about it where we were like what would be the hobby that you would take up now so that we can prepare for the apocalypse and like one of them obviously like you were saying is gardening like I want to I started reading up on it figuring out how I can use the environment around me and using non-invasive species of of plant life and all of that and just like again combating (laughs) the green thumb like I got to I actually grew vegetables last year and it was so exciting (laughs) it was like thrilling I was like oh my god I made a thing um and then you know uh, my partner had said like he he would try to learn like first aid or like different things for like health wise but I was like I think I'd also want to learn like some like like electrical or like carpentry or something yeah. like those kind of practical things that you don't ever think about as being like n- necessary in the apocalypse yeah I would totally be a carpenter I love building things with my hands it's very fun I would Me murder too. all the plants I shouldn't be near them but I need to learn how at the same time um I murdered my sunflowers I'm still very sad about it I tried really hard yeah try another one that's yeah all. I just need to get the right equipment I think that's it I mm-hmm. used a random bin that I drilled holes into to give water what is it called yeah <laughs> and it was like Irrigate. no we're dying and I was like oh no <laughs> yes um, so many things that 
this book teaches us and inspires us. And um, yeah, I mean, God is change. And yeah, I want to read everything else by her for real, for real. I want to read Lilith's Brood. I want to read all the other things. And I'm like, can we just always talk about it to the mother? Can we just like be one with her brain? No, but we can listen to those other shows. That's true. And we can read things that were inspired by her, some Adrian Marie Brown, some mm-hmm. Tanana Reeve do, like all of those. Maybe and we'll bring it in here. I mean, we'll talk about it on here. I'll be like, look, learn more stuff. Yes. Yeah, always. Um, if you have suggestions, if you have um, recommendations for books that are similar to that or in- inspiring uh, that, you know, Octavia would love (laughs) we would love as Octavia fans please tell us um also let us know your thoughts we'd love to hear how you feel about Octavia um and and about parables the sower and talents um be become a shaper with us and uh remember to like and subscribe because it means a lot to us um to hear from you and to get that support and so that people know that like we're out here Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Next week, we're going to be focusing on a different writer. We're going to be talking about Margaret Atwood. So tune in for that. Uh, I think it'll be not what you're expecting. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, And we'll be talking about Handmaid's Tale, following that, not the show, because um, we've already done that. So make sure you check out that episode for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, when we That was our Oppression of Women Part 2. Yeah. And we're dressed up for the episode so that's oh god yeah i know i remember we did do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um any other thoughts kat i don't know man just keep learning Mm -hmm. keep doing it and as i come up with more ways to learn we'll we'll do it we'll have form community i like really don't like talking to people but i will if it makes the world not die that's kind of how i feel introverts unite yeah yeah Um, neurodivergent people unite talk to other people sometimes and use your hyperfixation as your special quirk if you're in the my hero academia universe to learn so much about all these things that are super important because it'll be really valuable in the future probably yeah no yeah do it like you know channel all that dread and <laughs> overwhelming misery that we feel about the world around it's like channel that like if you're like feeling very hopeless then sometimes just like reading about those things acknowledging how we got here and how we can yeah. try to stop progressing into this hellscape that uh octavia wrote for us mm-hmm. um and you know do some of those things that'll make you feel like at least you're you're not just pretending it's not real yeah Um, it's like when you're sad and you listen to sad songs it's like the same thing you just want to wallow yeah but it's like they make you feel better somehow you're like wow I actually feel better after listening to that person just like sing how I feel because it validates you just do that but with like practical life skills and also like reading books and if not reading to books listening to them yeah like yeah sometimes you're like in just in the dark and you're like I want to continue to be sad. <laughs> if you wake up at 2 a.m., don't just right. sit, sit there. Just do something that makes you tired because our sleep schedule isn't, like, based in science. Yeah, I think the biggest thing you could ever learn from Octavia Butler and from us is to question everything. Yeah. It's like, don't take everything as just gold, right? Like, uh, saying that's just the way it's always been is, one, incorrect. It yeah. has not always been that way. And yeah. think, ask, why is it like that? 
It's yeah. okay to ask questions, and you should. Everything you touch, <laughs> you change. And everything, and everything you, change, you change changes you. you. God has so. changed. All yeah. right. Well, <laughs> don't get married. Don't eat your kids. kids. They're they're them. Them. Or they'll they steal them. them. They steal your kids. So that happens a lot. It's so and in so actual life, but in this specifically, yeah. <sighs> okay, bye.